0: And I'll read it again. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Now, many Christians today, when they hear this sort of teaching, straight from scripture it doesn't head in it makes them squirm in the seat makes them very uncomfortable because if you think about it what's the predominant teaching today what's the predominant teaching the we'll be gone this doesn't refer to us they've even got a term for these saints tribulation saints and who are the tribulation saints because a lot of the uh, pre-trib teaching is that the Holy Spirit is the, the one holding back, the restrainer holding back, and the Holy Spirit's going to be removed. So you can't even say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. So if that's true, if the Holy Spirit's removed, and when the Holy Spirit's removed, the church goes as well, there will be no tribulation saints, because no one can turn to Christ without the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can't be the restrainer, because the Holy Spirit will take us through and this is the other thing, I always ask the pre-tributors, where does it say that the church is not in the tribulation? Because it doesn't say it anyway. I'm always asking that. The reason I'm passionate about this subject is because I think the church is not ready. I think the church is not ready for the end times. We've had 2,000 years to get ready, and now we're heading into it. No one's, well not no one, a good portion of the church is not ready. Then then it makes sense, then it makes sense if you go to 2 Thessalonians. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians. Scriptures start to fall into place. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and it says, Chapter 2, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, and this is talking about the Habatsa, we ask you brothers not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter, supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you. There's a warning. It's a warning straight. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs, which is also called in other translations, the apostasy, which is uh, from words of uh, the book of Matthew 24, or chapter Matthew 24, where he says, The love of most will grow cold, referring to the church meaning they will brother will trade brother to death, and a father his child, there'll be a turning away from the faith. There will be a great apostasy of Christianity. The Christianity of two billion or whatever we have now will diminish in size and number greatly during these days because of the persecution that is coming on the church. And the church that is not ready has not prepared their heart to live or die for Jesus Christ. Amen? Shouldn't that not be the way? We should be ready to lay our lives down for Christ. Actually, many brothers and sisters around the world are doing that right now. Actually, the 20th century saw more martyrs, more Christian martyrs, than every other century combined. Did you know that? 2,000 years of Christian history did not compare to the amount of Christians that died in the 20th century. That is just mind-blowing. And now I believe that the 21st century is going to top it. We're already seeing huge amounts of martyrdom happening, you know, with the Muslim uh, Muslim persecution of Christians overseas. Yeah, and, and all over, all over, and, and China, you know. So we're seeing persecution now. We sit here in Australia untouched, don't we? And preaching this sort of message. I remember I preached this. I uh, remember in the church we, and I preached this many, many years ago. And I was told by the pastor not long after that people in the congregation come up and said, don't you let that guy preach again. Why? Because I preached the message about being prepared to die for Jesus and they asked, don't you let him preach that message again. <laughs> I was a little bit radical. I still am a little bit radical <laughs> for the day and the time and the hour. But we need to be. We need to be with, with the world events, you know, escalating like they are. We could be at war tomorrow. We could be at war today. There could be just suddenly an announcement you know North Korea has just launched a nuclear warhead that's it, we're at war and next thing you know our young men are being pulled off to war that's when we head for the mountains we hide our young men we put Judah on and Jesse on gun <laughs> but do you know what I mean you know what I mean? We must be prepared. And you think about it. God is looking for a, a powerful people that are willing to lay their life down for him. He's looking for a martyrdom attitude. He's looking for martyrs. And you know what a martyr means in the Greek? Witness. The martyrs, martyrdom and martyrs didn't mean um, what it does today when, the, when they were first told, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judean, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. When he said that, it didn't mean in their minds people that lay their life down for the faith. It became to mean that as they started to live out their life, people around started calling martyrs, martyrs in the context that we see it now, because these men were getting killed for the faith and they wouldn't recant. And so he's still calling witnesses. And you can't be a witness. Unless you're a martyr. And we're all called to be witnesses. Doesn't that say that? You will be my witnesses. It's actually got no choice. He says you will be. It's like a command. You will be my witnesses. And if you're not prepared to be my witnesses, don't even call yourself Christian. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6 you turning there, um, Bill sent me a, uh, a clipping out of the newspaper yesterday, and it says, "Sexism on uni agenda." Universities have banned words such as "mankind" and "workmanship" as sexist, and are marking down students, marking students down for using gendered language in assignments. Now, I don't know which unis that's relating to at the moment, no. but obviously Queensland. it's the plan is for. Yeah. Queensland, yeah. It always starts in Queensland. <laughs> 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 too, they're too human, it's too human up there. They're not uh, thinking straight. Right, so a lot of it's queens up there. Probably. All right. All right. Um, so, Lord, just help me now to um, preach this message Lord and I pray that your spirit will uh, come upon me and move me to speak only what you would have me say but and give me wisdom and and insight into this uh, passage of scripture because Lord uh, there's some very strong warnings in this book about uh, altering uh, or adding to or Mm -hmm. subtracting from this book so give me discernment as I travel through it Lord and I pray that you give everyone here discernment also so that we can uh, get the most out of it. Because, Lord, we believe that we're in these days where some of this stuff that we're going to be talking about could be coming to pass in, before our very eyes. So give us the sermon and help us, Lord, to uh, grow stronger as Christians and uh, grow more aware and, uh, and become like uh, Eric Lutie termed the Irish elk uh, type of Christian, um, the way that we are meant to be, the way you've predestined us to be. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 This is the 31st uh, part of the Revelation series, and we're in Revelation 6. And this is where it gets quite interesting. I think there's a few of you that have been waiting for me to get to this point for a while, you know. It's taken... you've been very patient. 30 parts to get here. But uh, Revelation 6, we're going to read it. Let's read through it together, because it's good to see it as, as for what it says. Um... And it says in verse 1, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked and there before me was a white horse, its rider held a bow. And he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come, and then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice, heard the voice, of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse, its rider was named Death and Hades, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe And they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed i watched as he opened the sixth seal there was a great earthquake the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair and the whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as late figs drop from the fig tree when shaken by a strong wind The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? That's pretty, pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? And uh, it's interesting because I went through a lot of the different views and, and, and also sourced a lot of information around this. And uh, then God gave me a, a bit of a revelation this morning and I didn't actually type it the my screen, so I'm going to have to try to remember what that was a little bit later because I don't want to say it now. Um, and I uh, also talked to Judah, and Judah had some really uh, amazing insight to share with me on Friday we we caught up and that was really good as well so i'm going to share what judah was sharing with me as well in a breakdown of you know uh from what you said so i hope i got it right judah i think i have, I think I have. but the breakdown of verses six one to eleven so you can see the the chapter clearly six one to two is seal one open and we get the white horse revealed the six three to four is the seal two open and you get the red horse chapter six Verse 5 to 6 is the black horse. And 7 to 8 is the pale horse. So it goes in two, two verses per horse. And uh, 9 to 11, can you see that all right? It's a bit small. Put your glasses on if you can't. Um, seal 5 open. The souls under the altar cry out to avenge our blood. So that's the martyrs of Christ. And, and verse 12 is the, when you have earthquakes, darkness, blood moon... And it reminds me of the same uh, basic uh, description that you get in Joel 2.28 of what will occur in the heavenlies before the coming, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Where you have, you know, the sun turned to darkness and the moon to blood, etc. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, 13 to 14 says, The stars fell to the earth, sky recedes, and every mountain and island is removed from its place. So basically the earth is getting shaken in a big way. So that's pretty scary stuff. Uh, 15 to 17, the kings of the earth hide in caves. The kings, not just the kings, the rich and so on, are hiding in caves and they're calling out the hideous from the face of God. And that's how that chapter finishes. Now, that's we're only up to the sixth seal, but that's just, we won't be getting through all this today. I'll guarantee you that. But um, I want, to, want you to take a look at a few things. Who's heard of the view of the preterist? No? You're going to find out a little bit about what the Preterist believes about this. The Preterist believes, as David Clark writes, if these symbols point to any specific time, there is every reason to believe that they point to the very period in which John was writing and in which his churches were living and that they had specific reference to the last days of the Jewish state at the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So Preterist believe that this has all occurred back in the days of John. Um, Now, there's a really good sermon um, Joe Schimmel did called The Dangers of Preterism. If you want to check out a sermon, it's only in podcast form. I actually want to pull a lot of information from that and actually put together my own sermon because preterism is a very, very dangerous doctrine because they believe that this has all occurred. And a full preterist believes that the whole book of Revelation is complete. Um, Now, we can quickly... Find, uh, see the falsity in that. John was exiled to Patmos by Emperor Domitian and wrote the book of Revelation in approximately AD 95. Pretty much, it's not unanimous, but pretty much most uh, historians and um, scholars of, of, of ancient documents will say that that's when he was there. The reason is, is because Emperor Nero didn't exile anyone. He killed them all. Domitian was a little bit more lenient, he would exile them. The reason they say uh, traditionally that John was exiled rather than killed was he, they actually did put him in a pot of boiling oil. And the boiling oil didn't affect him. So John was, um, you know, protected from the boiling oil, sort of like a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Abed, uh, situation. And it freaked the emperor out. He said, get that guy out of here. He saw him as, a, as someone that you better not touch. Because if all can't destroy him... You know, we better not. Um, and so the thing is, he wrote that in AD ninety five, or approximately. Jerusalem was destroyed in AD seventy. So how can it be referring to something that was twenty five years previous? Mm. So that that's one issue I have with preterism. I've got a lot, but I'm only going to share a couple. And if the Book of Revelation was fulfilled in AD seventy, then we are living in the thousand years of peace. <laughs> a problem. Where's the peace? Yes. <laughs> Why is Satan not chained up? <coughs> He's got a long leash, as they say. Uh, where is Jesus? Because he should be here with us. Mm-hmm. And the Bible did not say a uh, two thousand years of peace. Mm-hmm. Alright? So it's 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 a crazy doctrine. But you know how many um you know, very in, well, you would call them intelligent, but you have to question that now. Um men of God that actually believe Preterism to be true. Mm-hmm. What historicists believe? Um, historicists believe the book of Revelation has been fulfilled over throughout history So, um, and we did a bit of study on that when we studied the seven churches and the seven churches indicating seven periods now they actually see that with the seals as well they see the seals as indicating different periods as well so these are genuine Christian men even the preterists are genuine Christian men and women that love the Lord but they've just got these peculiar views um, I believe, in an uh, allegorical way, I suppose that we are living in the era of the Laodicean Church. You know what? You know it's lukewarm, it's wretched, pitiful, naked, poor, and blind. You know, you, you sort of can see that that we're sort of living in, in the age of that. And that's about far as I go with the histor- historicist view. But I don't get into this where they say they believe that the white horse and the rider refer to the period of Roman imperialism from the death of Domitian in 1896 to the peace of Commodus with the Germans in AD 180. This was the period of the five good emperors, Nerva, Trajan, Hadrian, Antonine, Pius, and Marcus Antonine's Aurelius. That's what they believe. You can actually look into it deeper. I don't want to uh, burden you with going too deep into it, but that's what they believe in, you know, that... That that one seal represents a period in history. Who believes that? It's up to you. You can look at it, and you can, it's probably they've got a few reasons where they believe that to be true. I don't particularly follow after that view at all. Now, a spiritualist, a spiritualist doesn't believe that the Book of Revelation is uh, something that's going to actually take place and affect the earth like it says. The spiritualists believe it's all allegorical, and you, you, it's it's not um, gonna be, you know, have have a direct effect on the earth in the way that the Bible says it. And so they spiritualize everything away. So spiritualists are not in agreement on the seven seals. So even they don't agree with the seven seals and the meaning of the horseman, some say that the rider on the white horse is Christ, the white representing holiness, but many disagree as how can Jesus both open the scroll and be the one riding the horse? I don't agree for other reasons than that, but I'll talk about that in a second. Some believe it is the preached gospel and its success, and they believe the rider on the white horse is the preached gospel going out into all the earth. To many, the horsemen represent the universal sequence of conquest, war, famine, and death, often repeated in history at whatever time or place it occurred. So it's this sequence that happens over and over and over again throughout history. And if you look at it, it actually would be a sequence of you know, uh, invading armies and the outcome of war and, and, and so on. And you can see it as a sequence. But I believe it's specific to a period of time because it's a very significant moment in heaven when this is done. This is, the seals are broken and a specific thing is released on the planet and it's earth-shaking. <coughs> It's earth-shaking. Every mountain will be removed. Every island removed from its place. It's going to be a shocking thing that will take place on the earth. So I can't follow the the way the spiritualists look at at that. What futurists believe about the seven seals? Now, futurists, you know, generally most of most of us would be futurists in this room. I believe we believe that it's for a future time, something that will occur. Uh, in the near or hopefully distant future, but, you know, um, that's something that's uh, out there at the moment and we can see a lot of things starting to take place. Uh, but to many futurists, the breaking of the first seal, uh, they believe that with the breaking of that seal, the tribulation begins. And uh, whether that's, they believe that's the seven years of that or the three and a half, uh, I personally believe it's the breaking of the first seal is the seven years. That it, and I'll, I'll explain why in a second. Uh, some futurists, example, Kuiper, Ladd, Morris, see the rider on the white horse as Christ. He argues that white is always a symbol of Christ. That is not a good argument. Satan can put on a white robe, can't he? Ooh, I don't sense. think that's a very wise argument, but that's what he says. Uh, now, Jennings opposes, now these are all eschatologists, he opposes it by stating the whole context and character of these seals Absolutely, forbid our thinking of this rider being the Lord Jesus, as so many affirm. His reign shall not bring war, famine, and strife in its train. I thought that was a pretty good um, rebuttal of that position. Famine will not be in the train of Jesus. No, the thousand years of peace will be in his train. Um, so, that rider is spoken of as a conqueror bent on conquest. Jesus is not bent on conquest. He's the victor. He's coming to take control. But he's not bent on conquest and famine and all these other things will not follow the conquest of Jesus Christ. Jennings suggests that the writer may be a personification of government or rule in the last days in the hands of the Gentiles. So he doesn't see him as the Antichrist, which is what most uh, many futurists believe. He sees it as a government personification of rule. Um, and there's plenty of governments that probably we could see as... Fitting the description there of some of a people or a group of men and women bent on conquest. Um, there's a lot of un, uh, you know, governments around at the moment that you can't trust. The most futurists, and this is Wolver, Ryrie, Lindsay and others, believe that the white horse and its rider represents the Antichrist <coughs> riding forth to conquer the world. I sort of lend myself to that. I believe that it's a representative of uh, of uh, of Satan himself or Satan incarnate as the Antichrist riding forth. The crown given to him is not a crown of legitimate authority. And so I looked up the Greek words for the crowns and I'm sure a number of you have probably heard this teaching before. The white horse rider of Revelation 6 is wearing a crown and in the Greek the crown he's wearing is called a Stephanos and it's a wreath or a garland awarded to a victor in the ancient athletic games like the Greek Olympics. So it's given to the victor. It's not a crown of authority, it's a crown of, you know, you won. So a conqueror going out to conquer, he has this wreath upon his head, this crown that he's getting because he's conquering the world. Jesus in Revelation 19, 11 to 16, he's also riding a white horse. They try to say that it's the same, it's not. Because his crown is called a diadema. It's a royal crown, a kingly ornament for the head. It's a different crown. It's what kings receive. And it says that he receives many crowns. Not just one crown, many crowns. Every bit of authority you can have over the entire universe, the earth and the universe, he has it all in these this uh, group of crowns. So you can see that the white horse in this one, in the seals is not Jesus. And I think a good argument can be stated that Jesus is popping the seals and seeing himself riding on a white horse in that moment. That's probably not going to make sense as well. Even though it could be a vision of the future, or which it is. Anyway, so I believe the rider on the white horse, or the white horse and a bow, is the Antichrist who will quickly conquer and seize control of the world. He will come under the guise of peace and will deceive many. He will bring peace to the Middle East, but the bow in his hand represents his real intention that he's bent on conquest. Now, who knows that um, anyone who's studied this sort of thing knows that there's going to be a peace treaty signed and then in the middle of that of the seven-year period or somewhere in there, it'll be broken. He will, he'll break the treaty that he signed at the beginning and then the peace treaty will bring peace to the Middle East. Now, let's have a look at the first seal. And it says, if you've got your Bibles, go from verse 2, I looked... And there before me was a white horse, its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. But the white represents peace and righteousness, so he's taken as a man of peace, a man of righteousness. And then it's interesting, because when when I first read this, oh, he's he's going out and he's conquering. And I always wondered, why did seal two, why does it say... Then another horse, this is in verse 4, then another horse came out, a fiery red one, its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. And I was thinking, how come, if he's been on conquest and he's conquering, why, wouldn't peace be taken already? No, because this horse, rider, signs the peace treaty. This second one, when it comes out, is the breaking of the peace. It's the taking away of the peace. And so, after that, we have all the other horses which come out and you get food prices escalating, meaning no one's farming anymore, food's not getting manufactured because we're on, in, in wartime. We're on rations. You know, who knows when you're in, in the war? Like, I, I remember my um, grandparents, they remember going through rations and they would always tell me as a kid, you know, when we're not eating your food, and they would say, oh, we, we used to have to eat dripping. <laughs> I was like, what's dripping? It's like the fat fat and they'd put it in bread, mm. fat of the lamb or fat of whatever, which would be probably pretty nice. Right? Actually, yeah. La- La- yeah. That, yeah. I like the fat of lamb, yeah. <laughs> dip bread in it. it. It needs a bit of paprika on top, too. <laughs> you need a bit of paprika, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, oh, maybe oregano. regular, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, we have better not laugh about that, we couldn't yeah, be eating drippings before we But um, yeah, so prices escalate, food is scarce, so people are hungry. And then by the fourth seal, you see that then, you know, he's given the power uh, of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague. And so people are sick and diseased and it's like the world is just a, becoming a wasteland and people are dying in the multitudes. And it could be, you know, a, a nuclear fallout, killing people and all sorts of stuff. So we see by that time. And then you get to the fifth seal and what's happened? The outright persecution of Christians anyone who's still holding to the faith, anyone who's not recanted of Jesus Christ because we were supposed to be raptured before that, moment, that time will suddenly have to face persecution because the Antichrist has been revealed. We all know it's him. It's clear as day and we're still here and then we get the fifth seal, the altars of those under the souls, And um, you also can find, if we go there, when, uh, if we go to verse 13 of chapter 7 verse 13 of chapter 7 and it says then one of the elders asked me these in white robes so these in white robes are referring to the ones in the fifth seal because they were given white robes to wear these in white robes who are they where did they come from and I answered sir you know and he said these are they who have come out of the great tribulation have come out of you have to be in it to come out of it you can't be out of it before it you have to come out of it from being within it and remember when it's when they were asked when they were calling out to Jesus to justify them he said you have to wait until all your brothers who have to be killed the way you've been killed are killed so that's interesting isn't it So we have to be prepared as Christians, because there will be coming a at this time, if we have to live into this, if we happen to live into this period, the Bible clearly says that we will have to face the potential of being persecuted and killed by, the official way it says here, by beheading. And I'll read it again. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Now, many Christians today, when they hear this sort of teaching straight from Scripture... It does their head in. It makes them squirm in the seat. It makes them very uncomfortable. Because if you think about it, what's the predominant teaching today? What's the predominant teaching? The the we'll be gone. This doesn't refer to us. They've even got a term for these saints. Tribulation saints. And who are the tribulation saints? Because a lot of the... Uh, Pre trib teaching is that the Holy Spirit is the, the one holding back, the restrainer holding back, and the Holy Spirit's going to be removed. So you can't even say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. So if that's true, if the Holy Spirit's removed, and when the Holy Spirit's removed, the church goes as well, there will be no tribulation saints because no one can turn to Christ without the Holy Spirit. That's true. Yes. So the Holy Spirit can't be the restrainer because the Holy Spirit will take us through. And this is the other thing, I always ask the pre-tribbers, where does it say that the church is not in the tribulation? Because it doesn't say it anywhere. I'm always asking that. The reason I'm passionate about this subject is because I think the church is not ready. I think the church is not ready for the end times. We've had 2,000 years to get ready, and now we're heading into it. No one's, well not no one, a good portion of the church is not ready. Then then it makes sense, then it makes sense if you go to 2 Thessalonians. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians. Scriptures start to fall into place. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and it says, chapter 2, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being (coughs) gathered to him, and this is talking about the Habatso, we ask you brothers not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter, supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you. There's a warning. It's a warning straight. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs, which is also called, in other translations, the apostasy, which is uh, from words of uh, the book of Matthew 24, or chapter Matthew 24, where he says, The love of most will grow cold, referring to the church meaning they will brother will trade brother to death and a father his child there will be a turning away from the faith there will be a great apostasy of christianity the christianity of 2 billion or whatever we have now will diminish in size and number greatly during these days because of the persecution that is coming on the church and the church that is not ready has not prepared their heart to live or die for Jesus Christ amen Shouldn't that not be the way? We should be ready to lay our lives down for Christ. Actually, many brothers and sisters around the world are doing that right now. Actually, the 20th century saw more martyrs, more Christian martyrs, than every other century combined. Did you know that? 2,000 years of Christian history did not compare to the amount of Christians that died in the 20th century. That is just mind-blowing. And now I believe that the 21st century is going to top it. We've already seen huge amounts of martyrdom happening, you know, with the Muslim, mm-hmm. uh, Muslim persecution of Christians overseas. Yeah, Indonesia. yeah and, and awesome. all over, all over. And, and China, Egypt, you yeah. know, so we're seeing persecution. Now, we sit here in Australia untouched, don't we? Mm-hmm. And preaching this sort of message, I remember I preached this, I remember in the church, we, mm-hmm. and I preached this many, many years ago. And I was told... By the pastor, not long after, that people in the congregation come up and said, don't you let that guy preach again. Why? Because I preached a message about being prepared to die for Jesus. And I asked, don't you let him preach that message again. I was a little bit radical. I still am a little bit radical for the day and the time and the hour. But we need to be. We need to be. With, with the world events you know, escalating like they are, We could be at war tomorrow. We could be at war today. There could be just suddenly an announcement. You know? North Korea has just launched a nuclear war here. That's it. We're at war. And next thing you know, our young men are being pulled off to war. That's when we head for the mountains. We hide our young men. And we put Judah on and Jesse on guard. (laughs) But you know what I mean you know what I mean we must be prepared and you think about it God is looking for a, a powerful people that are willing to lay their life down for him he's looking for martyrs martyrs his attitude uh, martyr uh, let me say it again a martyrdom attitude he's looking for martyrs and you know what a martyr means in the Greek witness the martyrs uh, martyrdom and martyrs didn't mean um, what it does today when, the, when they were first told, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he said that, it didn't mean in their minds people that lay their life down for the faith. It became to mean that. As they started to live out their life, people around started calling martyrs martyrs in the context that we see it now because these men were getting killed for the faith and they wouldn't recant. And so he's still calling witnesses. And you can't be a witness unless you're a martyr. And we're all called to be witnesses. Doesn't that say that? You will be my witnesses. It's actually got no choice. He says you will be. It's like a command. You will be my witnesses. And if you're not prepared to be my witnesses, don't even call yourself Christian. There's a famous story of Alexander, the great conqueror. And there was a A man called Alexander who was in his army and he he fled the front line. He was a coward and he got pulled up. He was going to go AWOL, but he got pulled up and he, he got brought up before Alexander. And Alexander looked at him and said, Either you change your name or you join back in the ranks and get out there and fight like a brave man. Because his name was Alexander, he says, "Don't you go on being a coward with a name like that? Because I'm not a coward, and neither will you be. We can't be cowards for Christ. We can't. It doesn't go together. We're martyrs for Christ. We're witnesses for Christ. Does that make sense?" Yeah. I feel this. I, I did not prepare any of this today, guys. Seriously, I did not prepare to say this. I know this is Christ is speaking. And this is Christ speaking right now. And my kids will tell you, I don't speak like this at home. I'm silly and a bumbling ding-dong at home sometimes. <laughs> white Horse Rider. He's coming to deceive the world as a counterfeit Christ. Wearing white, representing peace and righteousness. And he will come as the Christ of the Christians and the Jews, the 12th Imam of the Muslims, the Maitreya of the Buddhists, the Kalki of the Hindus, the, how do you say that, Sa? So shyant of the Zoroastrians and the Li Hong of the Taoists and, and many others. He will come as their Messiah. That's why the world will worship him. And those of us that don't bow down are going to get put through the fire. Like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. If we do not bow down to this coming false Messiah, we will be beheaded. Western way of interpreting prophecy Seven seal scroll then drops out the seven trumpets, then it drops down into the seven vials. So that they sequence down uh, with the blowing of the seventh trumpet, releases the first vial and so on. Um, and if you've seen my video Apocalyptic Parallels, you will see that I don't believe that. However, I sort of lean more towards <coughs> Judah's way of seeing it and I'll be talking about that in a second. They teach that the trumpets come out of the seventh seal, which is true, And the bowls come out of the seventh trumpet, which I don't agree with. This means they are chronological, but also that we could assume they represent different time durations, with seals having the longest duration and bowls being relatively short in duration. Now, I probably do agree that the seals more than likely would be of longer duration. But we don't know because it doesn't specify how long or short these time periods are. And uh, probably rightly so now the hebraic way of interpreting prophecy is hebrews would see parallels in prophecy for examples the parallels between as i talked about last week the seven fat and seven lean cows and the seven fat and seven lean stalks of grain also in daniel's case interpreting nebuchadnezzar's dream of the image of the statue of a man with the head of gold and so on that paralleled with daniel's dream of the four beasts now talking about the same empires all right so this Two prophecies referring to the same thing. And that's why if you look at my video on the seven, uh, look at the seven trumpets and the seven uh, vials or bowls of God's wrath, you see very similar explanations to what's occurring. And uh, so watch that video. It's really helpful for you to understand where I'm coming from. And I think it's, I've got adequate, if you watch the video, you'll see that I have a pretty good basis to think that. Actually, I have to, for me not to think it now, I have to have someone come along and prove otherwise. Um, And I'm open to that, I'm open to that. Because, you know, we're not, we can't be too dogmatic in this, can we? But we can get strong convictions, because you've got to have strong convictions. If I didn't have strong convictions, I wouldn't preach it. I'd be crazy, I'd have to really sit down and let someone else come in and speak on it. But I have got some strong convictions, but I'm I'm willing to present them against everyone else's opinions and views, Um, and then you guys make up your mind. Uh, which which way you guys lean. So the seals, <coughs> some sees the seals like this, that just like reading a newspaper story, a good writer will provide a summary of the article you're about to read in the first paragraph and then the body of the article will follow. So they get a summary and then the full body of the article which will be the description of that summary. So they see the seven seals as the summary and the seven trumpets and the seven vials, all as the same thing. The first six seals provides the summary of the entire tribulation period as they parallel Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 29. If you read through these seven, or the first six seals, they do parallel in many ways. And I'm going to actually get to that, um, probably not today, or probably uh, in future sermons, where we can see the parallels. Because if you're going to study Revelation, as I've said many times, you've got to study the whole Bible. Because there's a lot of stuff that's, you know, you can't just see clearly from reading the Revelation alone. You have to, you know, look to Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and, you know, and Daniel. You've got to try to interpret that and see these parallels. And, And it's very clear a lot of the time as we start looking there. Now, the seven sealed scrolls, the first six seals would provide the summary of the scroll. So this is what is being taught. And I used to actually believe this. I used to believe that the first six seals. Provided the summary of the scroll, and then when they pop the seventh seal, it unravels the full contents of the scroll, all the details. I was saying this to you, wasn't I, Judah? And so then the trumpets and everything are just added information upon the first six seals that were broken. I have changed my view on that because of just the wording of scripture. When I read the wording in context, like after the sixth seal, after they popped the seventh seal, what is said, it, with the popping, it releases the trumpets. And then it made sense what was actually taking place. Um, so I'll talk to you about that soon. Now, what Judah was talking to me about, and I hope I got this right, Judah. When he read it, he's been reading the book of Revelation a lot lately. When he read it, it reminded him of an army, is it called a warning order? It was more like a task order. A task order. Something that you receive in, in the army, for something that had to be done uh, with like a group of uh, soldiers or... uh, Yeah, just any task. uh, Any task you're given. And he said it it sounds very similar, like in the way it's laid out, to that. So what I've tried to do here... So we've got the prologue, and that's in Revelation 1. Uh, The warning order uh, starts from 1.4. Is that right? Is that where you saw it starting? Yeah, Yeah, I thought it might have started at chapter 2. But you you said from 1.4. No, I think it's chapter two. Chapter two. All right, from chapter two through to chapter three. So chapter two to three is the warning order, which is to the seven churches. Mm. Prior to that, during that last part of chapter one, is when they see Jesus in glory uh, among the seven lampstands. So that's probably why you saw it, because he's among the seven lampstands. Is that right? No, it's, yeah. Once he starts delivering to the seven churches. Uh, that's so from the chapter order. two then. Could you okay. Get general order then a specific order. Alright, so you got the warning order which we'll just see that change. That's from chapter two to chapter three, which is the seven churches. And you remember there's warnings in those churches, aren't there? Mm. There's things that they were you know, we, we talked about it in, in sermons, that there was things they were commended for and there were things that they were warned against doing and they were um, uh, they were, you know, sort of rebuked for. Now then in Revelation four, army warning order they call it situation friendly. Um, which would be chapter four, if you remember chapter four, it's Jesus on the throne and the four living creatures. And then you get the execution, which is Revelation 4 to chapter five. The execution orders are from Revelation 6. And phases one to six are the first six seals. The execution is done in phases. They call it phase one, phase two, and these are the six seals. Then we have the seventh seal when that's broken, you have the seventh seal broken, then you get stage one to four, which are the first four trumpets. Phase seven is broken down into stages, which is the seal seven, is broken down into the stages of the seven trumpets. Phase seven, which is seal seven, stage five is the first woe. Then stage six is the second woe, that's the sixth trumpet being blown, coincides with the second woe. And the seventh trumpet being blown coincides with the third woe. And these are all typically what an army soldier would be looking at when they're given these orders. Am I doing okay so far? Close. Yeah. Close. Yeah. Talk to Judah afterwards if you need further insight on this. Then you get the situation enemy. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no that's not the exact sequence, but that's how It's close. Saying, yeah. It's close. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Phase 7 is further details of stage 1 to 7. Now, phase 7, further details would be the the seven bowls of God's wrath and more details in relation to that. And then you get this section called situation enemy further details, which is 7, Revelation 7 <coughs> and, 18. and then phase 7, stage 7 further details, which would be the stage 7 is when Jesus claims the kingdom or the world for himself and there's further details in relation to what happens there. It's not, uh, I suppose, a, a typical exact layout, but you saw it as that and it gave um, Judah a different insight into that. And I, I like that. I thought that was really um, insightful and helped me to see some things as well in it. Next time in this series, we're going to be looking at Revelation 6, the breaking of the other seals. So I want to go through the seals and, and get some more insight into them. But I actually achieved my goal of getting through this sermon today, which was pretty remarkable because I normally don't do it. Can we have the band back up?